The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 254 for April 12th, 2010. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. Here from Durham, New Hampshire, I am Dave Hamilton. And on the other end is John F. Braun here in Fairfield, Connecticut. And uh, as far as Dave, you know, yeah, last I checked. But um, oh, my gosh, Dave, we're, we're getting close to that big day. Unless you file an extension, of course. Oh, yes. We're getting close to the day by which I must file my extension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually did. I, I actually did the paperwork about um, three weeks ago. And since I owe a little money. I basically put it off until the last minute. Smart for actually, man. For, well, uh, well, I do it on pencil and paper. Now, you know, in, in some ways I'm still retro, but I do not use tax software. I just, um, I, I download the PDFs from the IRS site and, uh, you know, well, well, I get the booklet. I go through that. I do it on pen and paper. Um, you know, I got all my paper receipts and stuff. And then when I submit it, I actually do it on the PDFs because I think they can process those easier than, uh, you know, if it's handwritten and then I print them up, I have copies and then, uh, send it in. But yeah, I owe a little money. It's weird because I owe money for federal, but I got a little back from the state. Can't can't figure that out. Anyway, so yeah, make no, sure I, you either file an extension or file your taxes, I, soon, I, folks. I will file. I will file an extension. My my taxes are always. I don't have all the data I need. Often I don't even have it by April fifteenth, but uh, but this year I think I will. It'll be close. I, I'm still waiting on one of the K ones from uh, from Backbeat Media, but uh, but uh, yeah, I always wait till October anyway. It's, so do you use do you do it by hand or do you do uh, use a uh, software? Oh, I, I John, you're going to love this. I'm completely inefficient about the way that I do taxes. For years, I did my own taxes uh, mostly with tax software. My taxes are fairly complex and and actually are simpler now than than they have been in in recent years. But uh, but you know, fi- I file a couple of Schedule C's because of the way that I uh, you know manage my businesses and. And all that sort of thing. So uh, I would use tax software mostly to track it from year to year so that I could track my depreciation and, and all that stuff. And uh, but now what I do is I do my taxes with with uh, with TurboTax and I use that to organize myself. And then I take all that paperwork and I hand it off to my accountant and I let him do the uh, the final uh, the final one that, that's going to go to the IRS. So. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I, I seem to. You know, I was surprised one year, and then we'll, we'll actually do the show here. I was surprised one year because I actually did the wrong calculation for capital gains. Yeah, there, there are a couple of different ways you could do it, and I did the wrong one. Believe it or not, the IRS actually caught it and said, uh, "You did it wrong, and here's uh, here's the money back that you overpaid." All right. So I'm gonna. This is gonna be a pro tip for uh, for everyone in the U.S. that files taxes because this is a completely unrelated tangent, but uh, but it's a it's a good thing anyway. So I have a friend of mine, uh, and this was many many years ago, probably 15 years ago that uh, that this happened. But uh, a friend of mine, his father was a math professor at a very prominent university, and had always and continues to always do his taxes by hand, pencil and paper, uh, perhaps with a calculator. But uh, but, you know, he does his taxes by hand. Right, John? You can appreciate this. So mm-hmm. then he, uh, you know, so he mails them in and the IRS, just like they did with you, John, they said, oh, we found an error. Uh, and here's and here's a thousand dollars back. You know, it, it, this is your money. And he thought, hmm, I don't think I made an error, but 
that's okay. You know, let's sweep this aside, sit back down, start at square one and redo my entire taxes for the year. So he did that and he came up with the same number that he had the first time he wrote wrote the IRS back. Uh, no, thank you. Here's your thousand dollars back. Uh, you know, I, I, I redid the calculations and I'm right. You know, uh, th- this is that <laughs> right. And the IRS, you know, uh, within due course, 45 days or less later writes him back and says, no, sir, we're the IRS. We are correct. This thousand dollars is yours. You must take it. And he said, well, I know that I, you're- I, I wouldn't fight that, you know, Yeah, it gets interesting, though. So he said, fine. Uh, you know what? A thousand bucks is a thousand bucks. Fine. Puts it in the bank. Eight to ten months later, he gets a letter from the IRS. As it turns out, uh, you owe us a thousand dollars plus interest because you were right the first time around. <laughs> Isn't that lovely, John? So well, seeing as how they uh, no, I, I'm sure they waive the interest. Uh, eventually they did, but apparently it was a long drawn out process to get that interest waived. It was not just a single letter of, uh, duh, you know, like, like you and I would think, but anyway, this is the, uh, the Mac geek gab, not the tax geek gab, though. I'm sure there's a tax podcast somewhere. Yeah. By now I will have already registered that URL just so you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, so 10.6.3 came out. And we talked about it a little bit last week. I had not up, I had only updated one machine. Now I only have one machine to update, and that's the machine on which we podcast here. And I'm always hesitant about updating this. A, it runs QuickBooks, which is always a little bit funky uh, when, when Lisa works here. And then when we do the podcast, obviously, it's our recording machine. So I updated my machine and my MacBook Pro and immediately had this issue where Mingler, which is the process that manages uh, sync services, not just sync services with mobile me, but also sync services among applications on the Mac. And, uh, and, and so, you know, to do's wind up syncing between iCal mail, busy Cal there, that whole deal. And uh, Mingler was running at a hundred percent of the CPU and it kept barfing out these errors where it would say, oh, the conflict resolver would come up and it would say, you know, you got to pick one or the other. And if I wasn't there, the conflict resolve resolver would sit there and just chew up all my RAM. Uh, so this went on for a couple of days until this weekend. I finally said, I got to fix this because it, it just can't go on. I, my calendar wasn't sinking out. Nothing was sinking. It was just stopped dead in the water. So uh, I went to the uh, sync menu in my menu bar And by holding down the option key, I get a whole lot more uh, options than you do normally. And I went down and I went to reset sync services, uh, of course, after making a full backup. And uh, and that kind of wipes everything out on the Mac. It doesn't change anything with mobile me. It doesn't change anything with your applications, but it does change that sync services store there. Uh, And then from there, I turned off all my syncing and one by one re-added things uh it took a little while to get the calendars and yojimbo right just because there's a lot of data there but i'm back in business but that was definitely triggered by something in the 1063 combo updater which is how i did that machine so um, huh now how many because i only have so i have three devices that are syncing so i got my macbook pro this to be fair this had nothing to nothing to do with mobile me Oh, okay. It was sync services on that particular Mac. <laughs> okay. Mo- okay. Mobile, I, and I, in the process, I reset everything that existed on mobile me, but, but that it was on, that was just sort of a, 
it, it just happened as part of me resetting everything to get the Mac happy. But it was it was internal to the Mac sync services. It wasn't even getting out to mobile me. It wasn't even trying. It was, you know, getting bogged down in 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 its own little uh, its own little hell. There is really what it kind of came down to. But uh, All right. yeah, sort of a mess. I've got three. But I, like you, I've got three. I've got my MacBook Pro and then the two iMacs, the one at the house and the one in the office. And then, and then my iPhone and the iPad. Right. So five. Same I guess. here. I got a, yeah. So I got iPod touch. I got the G five and I got the MacBook pro. So three things. Okay. But anyways, okay. and then we had, um, uh, most uh, people I think had a, had a pretty, uh, uh, I, I observe no problems. All I observed was, you know, as we talked last time, you know, a couple of, you know, little UI improvements. And, you know, of course we linked to the thing that describes all the underneath the cover stuff, but sure. I didn't really notice, you know, much of, anything as far as you know low level behavior or performance or anything I, I did have one other problem when i updated another machine now i'm gonna tell you what happened before i tell you what machine it was john what happened was i installed 10.6.3 now uh i used yeah so i installed 10.6.3 and it you know appeared to install it restarted it did the double restart just like we would expect it came back up the desktop background comes in. The menu bar starts to appear. It fades away. The spotlight uh, magnifying glass in the right sits there for a second. Then the background changes and around and around I come. Uh, this kept happening even though I shut it down, turned it back on. No, no good. I um, Then I SSH'd into the machine from actually from my iPad. I used the ISSH app on the iPad uh, because it was just sitting right there. And I saw what was happening and that the finder and the dock were just quitting constantly. So it could never launch the uh, launch, the, the, you know, couldn't couldn't get anything going. I tried safe boot. I tried everything. Nothing worked. Uh, so my question for you, and then I will tell you what machine this was, because I unfortunately had the knowledge of what machine it was because I was doing it. But I, I'm, I'm curious what your first troubleshooting step would be, John, to try and solve this. <laughs> So the finder and the dock were quitting, you said? That, that was what was being reported in the console. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, this may lead into something we'll talk about very shortly. Um, whack the uh, dock preferences? I did. I actually tried whacking the preferences, and that, that didn't get me anywhere. Uh, the eventual solution to this was to reapply the combo updater. Hmm. Now... The reason that wasn't and, and that's a pretty obvious solution. You know, if you've got a problem with an update, reapply the combo updater. Um, what the reason it took me four hours to get to that point and decide that the issue was with the update and not the machine was because this was on my daughter's Hackintosh machine. So immediately I jumped to the conclusion that, oh, no. You know, there was because you broke something. Well, and they did <laughs> because you got to run this netboot installer thing or netbook installer uh, to make 10.6.2 and later work the boot because the kernel doesn't support Atom processors. So you have to have a patched kernel and uh, and and the netbook installer magically does this when you when you apply the update and it did it. It did it just fine. But of course, I assumed because things were crashing that, oh, no, it didn't do it and it didn't work. So I headed down this horrible path that eventually led me to let's reinstall OS 10 from scratch on this machine, which which I did. It was and it was a maintenance install. I didn't didn't wipe out her data or anything like that. I just, you know, reinstalled on top of itself and then updated to 10.6.3 and it was fine. But uh 
But I, I wish I had not had the knowledge of what machine it was because that tainted my view of what, what the actual problem mm-hmm. would have been. So, you know, it is what it is. Time for our so, first sponsor. Let's do that. Oh, we can do that. And then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, our first sponsor is Barebone Software. And of course, we spoke of the product already. The product is Yojimbo. Yojimbo is an information organizer. It's one place where you can take all that stuff you have. Uh, either maybe you've got a bunch of text files and PDFs on your desktop and folders that you refer to. Well, you can create those folders as collections in Yojimbo and then drag those files in. Of course, you can create new files there. Yojimbo will manage your serial numbers so you can put serial numbers in there. It's a great place to keep them. It does, as I mentioned, it syncs with mobile me. So you've got the ability to put all this stuff on one Mac and then boom, magically it appears on your other Macs. And indeed that syncing works great. One thing that Yojimbo lets you do is you can search your entire Yojimbo collection. Now you can choose whether or not you just want to search the titles of all these little documents or if you want to search in the contents of them and it will search the contents of PDFs as well as text. Uh, obviously it doesn't search images because it's uh, you know, that, that bit of magic. I don't think it exists yet, but uh, you know, Jimbo uh, from Barebones software. It's available at barebones.com. Uh, you can download a free trial and then the individual license. Once you're hooked is 39 bucks. If you do happen to still own an older version, they're at 2.1. Now, if you own an older version of 1.x, it's 20 bucks to upgrade and a family pack is 69 bucks. So this is all available at barebones.com. Yo Jimbo, a personal information organizer. All right. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, a, a little bit of news that popped up this week, John, and normally we don't talk well, about news. Well, there was one thing before. Uh, okay, go I, ahead. I, I want to try to address. Well, no, we, yeah. we, we, we had one report from uh, Kirk mm. about the 1063 update. And just because yeah. I looked into this, I just want to mention this. So Kirk had this problem, which I think I've seen once in the past. Okay. But what he was reporting, so, you know, of course, the doc, you know, has this pretty kind of 3D mirrored look. And uh, if, you, if you have it set up and visible, when apps are running, you'll get a little blue glowing light right under the apps that are that are currently running. Well, Kirk and, and uh, I believe he sent us a screenshot and showed us what was happening. Instead of getting the light, he would get, I think, just a blank, either black or white square. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's like, what is up with that? So I did a bit of digging and, and I have a number of suggestions for him to try. Now, now it, as it turns out, it may like you suggested, maybe just reapplying the update may do it. But but I dug into this a bit, and there are a few things to do. So one is, as we talked about before, there is, um, in the preferences, com.apple.doc.plist. That is the you know preference file for the doc. Whack that and see if the problem goes away. But then there are a couple of things. Actually, I learned something new today. today? So I dug into this a bit more. Well, I'm always learning something new. Good. Um, now, another thing you could try here, here's one suggestion. So we've mentioned this before. Secrets. Secrets is this awesome, uh, uh, in my opinion, awesome pref pane that lets you kind of muck about with, with uh, uh, well, maybe things that you shouldn't be mucking about with. But it has all these, uh, you know, uh, uh, ways to modify the behavior of various applications. Um, you may want to be careful because some of them aren't necessarily supported. But I did find. So one thing I would suggest that he may want to try is to get secrets. And then under the doc category, they have doc appearance. Now, you can not only 
uh, do the three, what they call the 3D glass appearance, but there's also a 2D black appearance. So maybe he wants to try uh-huh. to flip that appearance and see if things get better. But then here's the thing that I learned and I think is very cool. So you may be asking yourself, well, what, what's going on with, you know, with, uh, in the dock here, how does it look the way it looks? And, you know, is this, you know, programmatic that it lights up the thing or is it, you know, a, a graphic that's stored somewhere? And as far as I can tell, the answer is yes, it's a graphic that's stored somewhere. Which, now, which is stored? consistent with, with Kirk's issue, right? I mean, if the graphic is going to look right. pretty and clear, the uh, if the graphic is missing, then you might just have a square that's ugly. Right. And where is this graphic, you may be asking? Where and- is the graphic, I am asking? <laughs> System, library, core services, doc. And if you open that package you will see a boatload of graphics in there. Most of them are PNGs, but as far as I can tell, these are all of the graphics that are used to constitute the dock. So Uh, what I'm suspecting is something in there got hosed or damaged. So maybe one thing he may want to do is if he's using Time Machine or another backup utility, try to restore that file and see if things get better. Or, as you suggested, Dave, maybe he just wants to reapply the 1063 update and it'll rewrite this file. But my suspicion is that something in that doc file, core services doc file, got damaged or, or somehow screwed up. And that's why it's displaying the square instead of uh, the pretty graphic that should be in that package. I bet that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in most cases, reapply the combo update. You know, on my daughter's machine, uh, the one mistake that I, I think I made, John, was... I had had her at 1061 uh because I skipped 1062 because I didn't want to deal at the time there wasn't an easy way with netbook installer which is netbook installer is the software that makes the magic of installing on a hackintosh possible okay and so you run this and it it not only does it patch the kernel if necessary but installs all these different uh drivers so that your trackpad and your audio and your airport and all that stuff just magically work and it, it really it truly is magic uh, but I didn't that when 1062 came out and shortly thereafter, there was no kernel patching built into this netbook installer. And I didn't want to mess with things. And I thought, well, I can stay one version behind. Now, when 1063 came out, I thought nah, I should do I should do this. And and thankfully, this kernel patching had been built in and it was tested with 1063. And great. So uh, I let it install the 1063 combo updater from software update. And, and, you know, I'm always all about the combo updater, but I figured, well, if software updates got it, that's fine. I don't need to go and grab the disk image, even though I had it on the network here. Uh, you know, it's, it's right there. It's the combo update. What's the difference? Well, I think that was my 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 failing in the, is that I let software update do it instead of uh, instead of doing it my way. And I know it shouldn't matter, but uh, but, you know, it is what it is. You know, I I don't know, if, especially on that Hackintosh. Yeah, I, I you may want to stay at ten six three. I, I don't. It just sounds like that. There's at some point in the future, they're going to do something, either intentionally or unintentionally. Oh, they've already gonna, done it. They did ten six two. They did it. They disabled well, it, Atom yeah. support in the kernel. Yeah. yeah, but it just sounds. It sounds to me like. I mean, I mean, unless it's a security update. Yeah, it's more um, a functionality. It's a bug fix. I'm not. I'm. I'm a whole lot less worried about security there than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, stability, right? And and okay. features. Okay. So. Yeah, it and, and you know the the reality is on that machine I don't need to have it, you know, uber current. So I'm happy to wait two weeks 
make sure everybody's reporting that, yep, it's working fine on my Hackintosh. And then I just follow the procedure. So, and, and, and to be fair, I don't think one iota of the problems I saw the other night had anything to do with her being on a Hackintosh. I think it was just a, a failed 1063 update. So, okay. All right. So and in the news, in the news. Yep. And we don't normally talk about the, the news. There are other podcasts that do a great job at that, but in this particular instance, and in some instances, a, a very geeky thing will hit the news. And I always like to, you know, kind of offer our spin on that. Maybe, maybe help to translate it into why does this even matter? And this past week, the WebKit team, now WebKit is the open source framework developed by Apple, I believe, or at least currently uh, the project is led by many people that, that are on the Safari team at Apple. I'm, I'm, the, the history of it's a little uh, I think it was me, derived, was it Conqueror. Conqueror. Was it was the, derived from another branch of open source code. Yeah. yeah, I think Apple has pretty much been one of the major contributors to this That's thing. Right. And it's used by multiple, Apple's not the only one that uses WebKit. I think it's, it's, it's right. used by multiple parties. Right. So WebKit is the core uh, of Safari, the web browser that is you know available on the Mac. And it's abstracted from the browser itself, which is good because it means that like they can use it in, for example, mail. If you get an HTML email, that's rendered with the same engine WebKit that renders uh, your web pages in Safari. So uh, and and other and it is open source. So other things can use it too. Uh, lots of third party software uses WebKit to display web stuff. It's just so much simpler than, you know, trying to write your own web engine. Uh, many third party browsers also use it. Firefox does not. Firefox uses Gecko, uh, but um, I believe OmniWeb uses WebKit and Google Chrome uses WebKit. And it's that last one that's very interesting. This this week. WebKit came out, or the, the, the WebKit team announced the WebKit 2 framework, which does something uh, that Google Chrome has been implementing on their own uh, for a while. And that is that it allows you to run WebKit, each instance of WebKit as a separate process. Right now, when you're in Safari and you have four tabs open, there is one process running that takes care of all of that. Uh, and with this WebKit 2, each tab is going to run in its own separate process. Uh, and, and so we just wanted to kind of talk about what that means. Now, Google Chrome has been doing this for a while. They, they've implemented it on their own, but they've got a separate WebKit process for each tab that you open up. And the benefits there are a couple. For me, the the stability is is the big thing, right? Because if I've got some web page that's you know, crawling and rendering strangely in one tab. If I move to another tab, I'm free to do whatever I want uh, within within reason. Whereas with Safari, if you've got one tab that's, you know, kind of spiraling out of control, you, you just sit and wait. You can't even click to another tab to to try to do anything. So uh, so this is important. There is no way to run WebKit to reliably right now. You can download it and compile it on your own, but it's incompatible with uh, every other WebKit that you've got on your system. So you, you can't go to webkit.org and download a nightly build with it yet, mm -hmm. but they say that that's coming. Um, and, and it'll be a good thing when it does. And, and then of course, whatever, you know, whatever works in the WebKit nightlies uh, does eventually find its way into Safari. So John, you, but you've got some other thoughts on this to add as well. Um, well, I read through it and I haven't actually programmed to it, but, but from what I read, and I think actually, and we'll link to this, but I think ours, 
probably did, uh, which they usually do. I mean, they, these guys are uber geeks over there. Yeah. I mean, they, they did a pretty good teardown of uh, what, what the uh, implications of this are. Um, and as a software type of guy, I'll try to describe some of these. So one is that it'll enable better support, support for multiprocessing. Now, as you mentioned, Dave, each tab can be a separate process. Yeah. And typically you, you assign a process to a, a, a core or a thread. So, um, so one of the things behind this is that, you know, it'll, it'll allow more efficient, uh, I think, processing in the browser. Uh, another thing that this does is it, it kind of breaks apart of what they're going to call web processes versus UI processes. And I think that uh, one of the implications of that, I think, is that it could have um, security implications in that, you know, the part of the, the, the API or the browser that renders what you see versus uh, the part that does the low level logic. So web process is pretty much handling, you know, JavaScript or HTML execution. The UI process, which includes like application logic and stuff like that, they're, they're trying to separate those from each other and, and perhaps, you know, giving one a lower priority so you won't have, uh, it, it'll be harder to do these browser-based attacks that can, you know, pretend to be you and, uh. and muck about with your data. Another thing I mentioned is that it, it, they're going to be supporting uh, what's, what's known as a non-blocking API. Uh, a, a lot of uh, times when you program something, when you program, you, you say, okay, please do this. And I'm going to sit around and, and wait for you to finish. And then I'll do the next thing. Uh, it sounds like what this is going to do is allow, you know, more efficient processing. So I think all in all, the, the, the impact of this. Now, it's interesting because Safari 4 implemented some of this stuff here. If you recall, one of the things that, you know, Steve and others, you know, were really proud about in Safari 4, but, but it's doing it at a higher level is that, you know, as you know, probably everybody has seen Safari Four when it had, when it gets cranky or when, and I'm not sure if it's always Flash, but it could be Flash or Dave. You you had a crash when we were doing the pre-show with uh, the QuickTime plugin. Yep. But um, Safari Four was moving in this direction that is, isolates the plugins, so that if a plugin does something stupid, um, it doesn't take the whole browser down. This is bringing it to the WebKit rather than it being just a feature of Safari. It's it's now a feature of WebKit. So um. Yeah, I think all in all, this is a, you know, it's a, it's Apple is moving in the same direction that a lot of the other people are, um, you know, Firefox. I think those folks, you know, they're, they're, they're implementing these, these things as well. Cool. Awesome. Well, if you have any questions, e email us. If we don't have the answer, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll dig and see if we can't find it uh, for you. Uh, speaking of email and all of that, we've had, we have a pile of follow-ups and some great stuff to share with you all today. Um, we talked recently about air disks, air disk being the disk that you can plug into any disk that you can plug into an Apple airport extreme base station and have it appear on the network. And, and there's been some contention is, of course, you know, if you've been listening for the last couple of shows about when and how that works with time machine. Sometimes these volumes appear as time machine stores and sometimes they don't. So, uh, we had a couple of people write in and then John, you have uh, an experience to share. So we'll let, uh, we'll let Canadian Tom kick us off with this. I think, right. And single and dual band. Hello. All right. Hang on. And so on and so forth. I don't know why that just jumped out there. Oh, that's joyous. <laughs> Absolutely joyous. You know, I love it when, uh, when this stuff just doesn't work. That's beautiful. Let's try this again with Canadian Tom. Hey guys, Canadian Thomas Colin. How's it going today? Um, last few episodes hearing a lot about uh, AirDisc, 
uh, domed airport extremes versus the rectangle ones and single and dual band antennas and time machine and so on and so forth. I've had a simple solution for a while now. Um, you take your external drive, plug it into your Mac, uh, format it up the way you want, uh, let Time Machine grab the disk and use it, but then stop the backup because you're going to have to delete the file anyway, or you don't have to, but it's useless. And then you take that drive and you plug it into your Airport Extreme and you get it all mounted up and stuff and uh, tell Time Machine to use it instead, and it works fine. I Time Machine does something in the background to that drive, maybe in the directory structure, not really sure yet, but it tags it as cool to use. And once it does, it plugs into these routers or the airport extremes and works. Love the show, guys. Take care. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. And then George wrote in, and George and many others wrote in, and George said, uh, regards to using Time Machine on an airport extreme, I have been using Time Machine with my airport for some time and never did the terminal hack to enable it. I found that when starting up Time Machine for the first time, no hard drive is seen until you mount the attached drive to the desktop. Once mounted, the drive shows up and can be selected as the backup drive. And and that's consistent with a lot of the reports that we've got here. So the trick is, if you don't see the drive, mount it. And then tell Time Machine to use it. And then from then on, uh, based on what we understand, it that, that should just then simply work. Uh, and John, you you went through something similar with uh, with your mom this weekend or with your mom's new computer, yep. right? Well, some of you know, uh, you know, she recently got a uh, went from the iBook G4 to the uh, a refurb, you know, uh, MacBook. And, um, you know, while I was setting that up, I noticed, oh, my gosh, these software updates are taking forever because, you know, it's uh, you know, I, I ran software update and there was a bunch of stuff and it was just going slowly. And I'm like, huh. Now she has or had one of the dome shaped, uh, not the gray or graphite one, but the white one. And I'm like, huh, you know, I wonder what, what speed we're running at here. And I basically clicked on the, you know, the, the option click in the menu and it said 802.11B. Like, oh my gosh, this is ancient, which, you know, as you recall, is 11 megabits per second. Like, well, this has to change. So I'm like, okay, let's do the refurb thing again and let's get. And so what we did, you know, saved a few bucks, got the dual band. So a refurb of the dual band. Yeah. Square Airport Extreme. Cool. And and uh, what I experienced basically now, the one annoyance was so so the one way that I had our security set up and I, I changed it with the new machine. But but this is the one annoyance is the old airport was not recognized by the airport utility. Okay. okay. It just didn't see it. And, you know, I tried to go back, you know, you, you can get software updates going pretty far back. And I tried to install some older versions of the airport utility and it, it just wasn't working out. So huh. basically I set up different security, uh, you know, before I had Mac address filtering and all that stuff here, this time I set it up with WPA2 and password and stuff like that. So, yeah, which is fun. probably the way you should do it anyways. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, so other than the annoyance of it not seeing the old one, because I think typically you can store the configuration of the most, you know, you know, a few generations back, you can store it in a file and, you know, suck it into a new one if you need to. But basically, I can confirm. So I took the drive. It was plugged into the USB port, which, as you probably know, saves it, you know, not as a sparse bundle, but, you know, in a file structure or folder file structure. Um, so basically what I did is, you know, I had that running for a little while. Basically reformatted the drive, as uh, I think George said, or uh, or Tom, or both of them. Reformatted the drive, plugged it in to the Airport Express, Airport Extreme. <sighs> Never gonna <laughs> curse you, Apple. Yeah. 
I'm still going to petition for them to call it the airport mini. Uh, but anyways, plugged it in, and and uh, here's the key. So number one, I had to have the drive set up to be a shared drive. So make sure when you set up the airport, you oh. go into the section. Now, this may default, but I had to make it a shared drive. Otherwise, you're not going to see it. And then number two, um, you got to mount it. But once it's mounted, Time Machine saw it, everything's wonderful. So it works. So it's awesome. weird because, Dave, in the last show notes, and, and we've seen this before, Apple's official position on their webpage is AirDisc is not supported for Time Machine. And and I would bear that in mind that their official yes, position is that it's not supported because if yeah, I, you I have, a, you know, if you've got your data out there and somehow it gets blown away uh, by some fault of Apple's. Well, they're going to tell you, you know, look, we, you know, <laughs> go read, you know, you, this doesn't work. So, uh, I, I, you know, to be fair, though, if it's going to be unsupported, Apple should make sure it doesn't work. Uh, it, it, you know, if you've got not it, it doesn't work without having to do, for example, the terminal hack. Right. But it is what it is. So but there and, was no hack involved. here. No, it was I know. Just the, I know. the only condition was the drive had to be mounted. Yeah. And then Time Machine on, on the computer said, up, oh, you want to use this? And I'm like, yes, I would. You know, cool. I even forced it. You know, after it did the initial backup, I even, you know, forced said, you know, back up now. And it's like, up, oh, looking for drive up. Oh, I mounted it. Okay. Here. Okay. So and, uh, it, it will after the, you don't need to mount it other manually other than the first time when you're setting it up. Was that right? Correct. John? Okay. Correct. That's once cool. it, once it knows about the drive. And again, I think the the key part here, because I, I think I was going through, so I did the manual setup of this thing. You got to make sure that the drive, that drive sharing is turned on in the I airport. Default, extreme. Yes. Which okay. I think by default it is. I think you're right. Cool. Well, hopefully that that puts this to an end. But of course, if it uh, doesn't feel free to email us and we'll we'll see where it goes. You know, John, I'm going to use this as a segue to our second sponsor, uh, which is go to assist express. Um, You mentioned that previously on your mom's MacBook uh, or on your mom's airport router, you had Mac address filtering turned on. And I would I would argue that uh, that is the last thing you want to do for someone else. to whom you are the main technical contact, right? Because if your mom has a friend come over and her friend's got an iPhone and wants to, or an iPod touch or a MacBook or whatever, and wants to get on the network, you, uh, you have to, you're going to get a phone call, right? There's no two ways about it. There's no password. And when you get the phone call, you're either going to have to go there or remote access in somehow, I'm just going to tell them tough, tough luck. If if you don't know me well enough to to tell me your Mac address, then I don't want you on my mom's. uh, No, but that's the thing. (laughs) Even if even if you do know them well enough, now you've got to go figure out the Mac address from your mom's friends machine. And then you've got to plug that into the airport router. And that's very difficult to do over the phone, uh, whereas giving someone a password is very, very simple. And the trick, if you do have to do any of that uh, management from remote is to use something like uh, that, which is offered by our second sponsor, which is go to assist express. Now, what it is, is it's a piece of it's actually a cloud based uh, service, meaning you go to the Web and you say, OK, I want to set up a remote access session from my computer to your computer. And you go to this and then you put the person's email address in or they give you a link that you can either tell the person to type. You can paste it in IM or Of course, you can email it to them. Once they get the link, they visit the link in their browser. Their browser says you've got to authenticate. Great. Uh, Do you want to allow 
Dave or John or whomever uh, to access your computer. You say yes. And then boom, on the other end, and John, you and I have tried this on the other end. It just magically appears. I get a window on my screen and now I can see your computer. You've got a little red button uh, that's not so little, actually, on your end that you can use to stop the session anytime you want. But otherwise, I have complete control. You can see what I'm doing and life is good. There's no more of that operator game of, wait, what do you see? Uh, why did you click that button? And then you put the phone on mute and you yell a bunch of curses off in the corner and then you come back and you, okay, let's try this again. You know, uh, there's none of that. You just, you see the screen, you can do your work and you're good to go. This is go to assist express uh, available at go to assist.com slash gab. That's go to assist.com slash gab. And you get 30 days for free to try it out. So go to assist.com slash gab. Awesome. Last time we talked about SD card speeds, John, and uh, and we had a great comment from Scott. And normally Scott's comments are so long that uh, they just <laughs> don't make sense to share here. But but what happened is he, he had two things to share and what it was good, because first of all, he was concise about. I believe both of them. And secondly, he forgot what the second one was. Uh, so he gave us two separate voicemails. So I think we're going to play them back to back, but we're certainly going to play the first one here about uh, SD card speeds. So Scott, take it away. Hi, John and Dave. This is Scott in DC. Just listening to the last Mackey Gab. I'm trying to help you guys out here. First of all, one of the reasons why the SD card reader doesn't go faster in the iMac is because the hardware doesn't go faster. Not necessarily the iMac itself, but the device that actually reads the SD card. That is the limiting factor. If the SD cards get faster, well, then you're going to lose the ability to read the faster cards. So then you use an external device. However, let me just point out one thing in a side-by-side -side comparison, which I was able to do. I was able to get just an ordinary one gigabyte, because that's all I had, SD cards going faster with the internal, uh, with the internal reader. Why? Because it's on a dedicated bus. Dedicated bus doesn't have any problems with arbitration. So if you have other things on the USB, on your USB, try to start unplugging things and watch the uh, watch the speed pick up. So that that's one consideration. If you want to pause now to the we will pause. That's right. Th so thank you, Scott. That's uh, it's great having the comments separately, and it's great. Mm -hmm. Knowing uh, that you tested this and saw what uh, what makes perfect sense, actually. And I understand what he said. Now, I think you stumbled across this in the, in the last episode, Dave. To, Even to a blind give... squirrel find... Well, I don't know. There's some... Yeah, no, I'll, I'll tip the hat. But I think you had speculated that whatever piece of hard... That there's something between the USB controller and the SD card. Uh, so, actually... Yeah. I'm going to challenge Scott here is what is that? Because I, I don't have one of these machines. I think Pete does. And if Pete wants to send me his machine so I can rip it apart, but I, I'm actually curious either a system profiler or something tells you. So, so there is a chip between the USB. I, I think what, what he was saying, there is some piece of hardware or some chip between the SD card and the USB port that, that is, is dealing with the data transfer. 
what is that mysterious chip? I'd like to know. You know, so here's the thing. I don't know the answer, John, but uh, we certainly could rip Pete's machine apart. if he were, And if he were here, uh, I'd hold him down and, and, and you could rip it apart. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, you hold him down. I'll rip it apart. The man's a, a former Marine. So, uh, mm. you know, better. Yeah, we may need more than yeah, the two I think, of us. I think a better option would be to go to ifixit.com and take a look at their teardown oh. because they probably have that information right there ready for us to uh, to dig into. Yeah, I'm so. sure it's some off the show. Uh, but he also brings up another good point is, yes, the USB bus, I think in general, and you'll see this in system profilers, the USB is shared, I think. So you have a main USB controller and then all of the USB ports kind of all leech off of that. So, so yeah, as he pointed out, you're not, uh, the more devices you have plugged in that are exchanging data, the, the, the lower throughput you're, you're going to see. So, um, yeah, no, excellent yeah. feedback. Thank you, Scott. Cool. Uh, and then we talked about, uh, something interesting. We had a question about SSD drives and security, especially in terms of what do I need to do? Is there any risk of, data being left out on the drive if I reformat it and give the drive to someone else. Uh, and again, Scott has some some insight for us. I don't know if we'll play this whole comment. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. But but uh, but there's definitely some good stuff here. Hi, John and Dave. This is Scott in D.C. again. Now remembering what I was going to talk to you about the second time. SSD drive, solid state drives. What do you do with a solid state drive before getting rid of it? Just delete it. If your, if your SSD has a zap mode, I think we, we were calling it a zap mode, which is a secure delete mode, then use that. Because basically what you're doing with a secure delete mode is you're going to zero out all memory. When when you, you're doing formatting or other software level things, because the drives are set up to minimize the amount of writes per chip, per bit, et cetera, so it could, they, they could last longer, you're not going to exactly get every single sector and every single place. What the secure delete does is it sets one sort of zap is, is what, what was described to me through the entire SSD. And what you're going to get is every single bit turned on and then turned off. Then you go about you know, your life normally. <laughs> the SSD does not retain data in the same way a hard drive does. Yes, there is a theory out there that was tried where you could do it and put the system into a freezer real quick and freeze some latent memory by slowing down the bits, yada, yada. But that's just uh, a proven in-lab theory that has not been proved in practice. Cool. Okay. Uh, and I think that, I think that gets us there. So thank you, Scott. So the, the reality is uh, even formatting the drive, I guess, doesn't rewrite every bit necessarily, uh, but a secure delete would. And either way, chances of getting the data off the drive are pretty slim. So, yeah, but it yeah. sounds like the industry is evolving towards having yep. a command that does this for you. Yep. So that, that's a, that's good news. Yeah, I'm still not convinced. Now I'm going to get on the band. My next hard drive, Dave, will be an SSD. Awesome. 
I think I, I think you'll love it. And you know that. I mean, you you tested out that WinTech one and, and you saw some of the, you know, the initial speed benefits. So thank goodness I still have the uh, the whole slipstreamed Hackintosh installer ready to go on my WinTech drive because that saved me on Friday night when I was mucking with uh, my daughter's machine. So. Okay, boy, we got a boatload. What are we going to do? What's, what's uh, we, we, Let's keep going through the follow-up. So let's, uh, we, we talked about a missing menu bar in show 251, where after the update to 1063, uh, we had a user who, whose menu bar, or listener whose menu bar just would, would not appear sometimes. And Richard... And others, actually, but Richard was the first, uh, at least the first that I saw, uh, has the answer. Hey, John, Dave, and Pete over at Mackie Gab. This is Richard Jeffries. Uh, in reference to show 251, where a caller had a problem starting his Mac and the menu bar at the top of the screen would not show up, but the icons would, or the bar would and the icons wouldn't. And after clicking on a window, then the menu bar would show up. Uh, after the after listening to that podcast, I went and turned on my Mac to do something, and sure enough, it, it had happened to me before in the past, but I never thought anything about it. When it booted up, it did it to me, and I immediately went to, uh, using your guys' advice, the uh, crash reporter, and the, the crash reporter had stated that uh, Google software update daemon .log, the same time that I turned on my machine, had a problem updating Google Gears, and that Google Gears was not compatible with Snow Leopard. Well, I had updated from Leopard to Snow Leopard, and when uh, back in Leopard, I had Google Gears installed. So I thought I had removed it with the Gmail updater and, and Google Docs and everything else. And um, under, I used CleanApp, and under uh, Library Internet Plugins, Gears plugin and library preferences uh, dot gears p list and the pa Google package. I removed those and under input managers, I found gears enabler and got rid of the gears enabler dot bundle. And um, after several reboots, uh, I don't seem to have the problem anymore. So hopefully this helps. Awesome. Thank you, Richard. And indeed, you uh, followed up with us, Richard, and then and, and then others said the same thing. I believe the issue is with the Google updater demon. It's not the Google uh. Gears itself apparently works uh the same as it did. I'm not going to say fine, but it, it's it's level of impact on the system is unchanged with Snow Leopard. But the updater demon is the one thing that that was the issue. And so by removing that, uh, you can you can resolve this funky menu bar disappearing thing. So, well, you know, there's a little uh, I got to say a little fish shake. And actually, so this is a plug number one for. Um, uh, hold on. I'll find it here. Which no, is important. No. Yep. All right. Go with me here. I, I got um, the table. I'm holding on. Oh, it's the, uh, uh, hold on to your steering wheels. Folks. The growl. No, the uh, growl, uh, uh, the, the, the growl alert system. Okay. Growl. Now, I noticed this the, the other day. Uh, uh, where the heck is it? Hold on. Hardware growler. I'm sorry. Okay. There we go. Now we're back on track here. And I noticed this the other day. So Google, and a lot of people are not too happy about this because I read about this, but one one day I noticed, you know, I'm just hanging out using my system. All of a sudden I noticed a volume get mounted on my desktop and it was like Google updater, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, um, I didn't 
do that. I didn't ask really? for this to be done. And apparently this is a little security issue that some people have. Apparently Google's updater is this kind of background deal that doesn't necessarily. And again, Dave, I know you don't like this, but I think uh, <laughs> where, where our pal little snitch and hardware growler may tell you about things that are happening in the background. You may not rather not have happened because I saw this. Again, a hardware growler, one of the things that it does is it'll tell you if any sort of volume gets mounted on your desktop. So when I saw Google updater, blah, 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 some unique ID get mounted, I'm like, huh? Interesting. So, so Google, huh. and, and, and if you look online and you know, we'll, we'll find some discussions about them. Some people kind of have a problem with this in that they're doing a software update in the background without explicitly asking you. Yeah, that, I, I got a problem with that too. Yeah, I mean, software update is cool. Software update comes up. Apple software update comes up and says, hey, you know, I found all these things. And what do you think? Or even Microsoft's up there or pretty much any updater yeah. comes and says, you know, something needs to be updated. Are you cool with this? Google seems to kind of circumvent that, uh, which I would say kind of is a nice social convention. Hey, I'm going to update things. Are you are you cool with that? And I think the response in some of the discussion threads I saw was, well, you know, if you got a problem with this, then remove it. <laughs> Yeah. Huh. So, you know, I mean, you know, and of course, now we've seen for various reasons battles between Apple and Google and all these guys. But, you know, I don't know if, you know, I mean, I think you've heard, you know, their their motto is, you know, do no evil. Yeah. To me, updating software without explicitly asking the user if that's cool. I, I don't know if I'd say it's evil, but it's it's not very nice. No, it heads in. Yeah, but their their motto. And that's an important distinction, right? Their motto isn't be nice. It is stop just this shy of doing evil. Right. Do no evil sounds like a good thing, but really, maybe it's not right. Maybe maybe if we interpret it that way, it's like we're going to go. We're toe up to the line. All right. We're good. We're not evil. We're not evil. We're certainly not good. That's way, way, way back over there. But don't worry. Our motto doesn't say anything about that. We don't need to worry about it. But I got to say, I'm so glad that Richard was able to find that that little uh, oh, you know, yeah. hiccup in the uh, in the console and uh, and and track this down. Yeah. So way the console to console is always your friend. And yeah, uh, again. Yeah. Richard gets a uh, uh, propeller beanie for that. That's right. We got You know, that's what we got to get. We got to get propeller beanies. I like it. I'm also going to start <laughs> doing something, uh, John, which I'll, I'll pre-announce here. But, uh, you know, as I was going through the show yesterday, and we've got a couple more follow-ups to, to go through here. But as I was prepping yesterday, I was sitting out on the day. It was a beautiful afternoon. And the family was gone. They were, you know, out at various things. And I thought, well, you know, I, I, let me let me get ahead because I'm a little bit behind on show prep. On, on, on all the emails. So I sat and went through all this stuff and I thought, you know, all these emails that we send, some of the stuff appears in the show. Uh, and then there's some stuff that doesn't, and we can't promise a reply to every email, but you know, a lot of them get replies eventually. Uh, and so the, uh, the thing I thought was, you know, this stuff should be posted on the web somewhere because these questions, especially if they don't get answered in the show, uh, they really should be, you know, out there. So I think I'm going to start doing little short little articles for MGG answers, right? Where we take the question from the email and the answer and we put it in an article. And that way there's a comment trail there. There's a home link. People searching for it on the Internet might find it, whereas they might not find the show that it was in. Uh, of course, I guess we could always link to the show from there to kind of bring it all home. But uh, maybe bring more people into the family. But really, it's just, you know, to get that info out there. So I think on TMO, you'll start seeing some MGG Answers articles appearing soon. And I uh, might need to enlist some help out there with this, too. But we'll, we'll leave that. We'll leave that for another day. So, 
Uh, and back to, you got any thoughts on that MGG answers thing? I cooked this up yesterday. I got Steven working on it already, but you know, that's how my crazy world goes. You're the boss. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think it's cool. Hey, the more answers, the better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's great. So cool. All right. Uh, we had a, uh, listener email in a couple of weeks ago asking, how do I track to see if new things have been posted to, uh, Craigslist specifically about, uh, an iPhone uh, 3GS, right? And we had a uh, a listener write in and say, uh, I initially tried to use their RSS feed, but then I remembered an advanced Google command for searching a site. As you can see below, I created a Google alert for iPhone 3GS on the site seattle.craigslist.org. Google crawls Craigslist continually, and you can set the alert to notify you as it happens once per day or once per week. I found the Google alerts to be very effective for notifying me of anything that I am specifically watching for. So here it is. That That's yet another way to, if you've got something, especially a Craigslist listing where you've got, you know, updated stuff happening or even a website Maybe where there's comments and you want to see if somebody posts a comment about X or Y, you can use Google alerts to target right down and, and find that. So awesome, uh, awesome little solution there. Thank you, Scout. Mm-hmm. All right. Blurring the lines between feedback and comment. We have uh, we have a question from Andy. You ready? Are we ready for Andy? We've got time for this, right? Oh, John? Uh, sure. Sure. So. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, it's Andy from Rochester, New Hampshire, and I'm considering storage issues. Um, I have a MacBook Pro, and I don't want to replace the internal drive in it because it would void the warranty. Uh, And I also sort of need to deal with storage on a larger scale. So I figure, you know, in the next year or two, I'm probably going to need something like two or three terabytes of offsite of offline storage you know, um, either through a NAS or a small server or something like that for my home office. And I'm debating about, you know, do I take an old PC and put Linux on it and do some sort of storage server that way? Or do I buy, you know, a dedicated NAS device, uh, or something else. Um, I'm trying to do this on the cheap. You know, the the less money I have to spend beyond the actual, you know, bare drives themselves, the better. Um, and I do need some redundancy and probably also offsite backup. Uh, so I'd be interested to hear your recommendations. Thanks. Yeah, you bet. And uh, I believe if I recognize the voice correctly, that's Andy who did a very cool. Uh, planetarium demonstration for us, which dude, he's going to, he, he may have already written this article. We'll link to it once he does. Uh, they did it at the kids school, John, they, they blew up a, uh, a, this big inflatable planetarium thing, which holds like, you know, 15, 20 people inside it. And he used hmm. a projector uh, to, to project onto this dome. It was like a, you know, a, a dome shaped uh, mirror on this projector. But the cool thing was he did it all from his Mac in real time with open source, he had this software that he could put in, you know, wh- what time and location he was and it would draw the sky and then he could amp, you know, he could uh, uh, animate the sky or he could add, you know, constellation representations or highlight things. It was really, really cool. So 
Now, uh, I have an initial comment. Uh, okay, yeah, first back to his, his actual question. So, yeah, well, here we go, Andy. I, I want to very quickly uh, address one of the points. So it's a mini tangent here, but I think it's important. And we've talked about it before. So one, one of his concerns was he didn't want to replace the internal drive because he was afraid he'd void the warranty. Yeah, this actually came up in another another question that we had uh, yep. in the agenda, Dave. But I want to address it now because a friend of mine actually called me um, and he said, you know, I'm buying a new MacBook and I want to get more RAM and hard drive. Um, he got the 17 inch and he's like, everybody at Apple told me that I cannot do that myself. Or I'm going to avoid the warranty. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound quite right to me. So I actually looked online. I'm going to link to the article, but actually Apple has a policy document. And as we you know, discussed, they're not always accurate, but <laughs> Apple's policy is as follows. And I believe the wording of it was that anything that is user serviceable or customer replaceable, if you replace it, you will not void the warranty. Now, the thing is, it depends on the type of machine you have. Now, in the case of a unibody Mac, which has, I think, uh, 10 screws on the bottom, nothing is user accessible in that right. you got to take the screws off. And as soon as you take the screws off and take off the bottom cover, I would say that that is not user accessible. Yeah, I, do, I don't believe even uh, on that one. I don't believe even RAM is considered user accessible, which is no, crazy. It's not. It, in that machine, and I, I looked at, I think you mentioned, Dave, and I fix it, tear, tear down. Yeah. And that machine, once you take off the bottom cover, everything is beautifully uh, wonderfully accessible including yeah. the hard drive and the ram and everything but you got to take the bottom cover off which in apple's uh, definition of the term is is voiding the warranty and so, to be to be fair apple and their service centers and perhaps especially their service centers uh are not overly concerned about sticking to those guidelines unnecessarily and by that i mean if you've replaced the hard drive in your machine and then you bring your machine in for service that's completely unrelated and you didn't muck right. anything up while you were in there uh, doing the hard drive they're not going to care they're also not going to warranty the new hard drive nor should you expect oh, them sure. to right but but they're not going to say oh hey wait a minute uh you know your screen's broken uh, or your screen's malfunctioning, but uh, but since you replaced the hard drive, uh, you know we're not gonna we're not gonna work on the screen. Yeah, that's well, a stretch. For example, know. in my case, Dave, I mean, yeah. I replaced the hard drive. I used uh, now in my defense, I used the same class of hard drive. It doesn't have a little apple on it, right? Um, but it is the same class of Hitachi hard drive. And it fits in there wonderfully. It's sad. You know, it's a, so, uh, yeah, and I agree with you. And actually, you know, I got a, a problem which I'm trying to resolve right now is that I'm running into a dead pixel issue. Now, fortunately, it's not in the smack center of my screen. It's on the corner of the screen. And I'm trying to figure out strategies to re revive them. But in this case, I'm under Apple Care. If I have dead pixels on my screen and they have a threshold for how many they consider unacceptable. Yep. I would, as you said, I wouldn't expect them to say, well, you replace your hard drive and your RAM and you got dead pixels. So tough nuts uh, to me that, uh, uh, yeah, well, they could say that, but I, uh, I don't think it's very reasonable for them to say that because that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one has absolutely nothing to do with the other. Yeah. And they, and, and my guess is they won't, so they won't have any problem with that. That's said, frustrating though. Oh, dead pixels, man. I, I, I'm so, uh, I'm so glad it's in the lower right corner of my screen and I don't notice it for a lot of things, oh, but it's definitely dead. That stinks. I, I think I have three on my MacBook right now. There, really? There's two in the lower right corner and one on the top. And I don't know why they've come. You up know, I don't, sudden. I don't see any on my um, MacBook pro and I'm not going to look for them. 
but we'll leave it. No, because there are utilities that will yeah. do a full color sweep of all the, you know, red, green, blue and, and show you. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to know. Then I started looking. The problem is, I started looking for them and I found more, and that was a mistake. So, <laughs> <That's> anyways, <bad. laughs> on to Andy's question. On to uh, Andy's question. That's right. Uh, yeah. So, last show, we talked about two options that I think are really good for him. We talked about the iOmega and Lacie enclosures that support, uh, you know, multiple drives if if you want. And and I think that, you know they're they're relatively cheap. For the price of the enclosure. And then, of course, you're adding drives. But, you know, I think you're at a hundred bucks or less for either one of them. And and I think that's a you know that and they've got all that that software and you can control them and do all those different things. So, I, I Andy, I think that's definitely the right path to head down. The, you know, the other thing would be to talk about the Drobo FS, which is the product that was released, uh, you know, mere hours after we we published the last show. But uh and the Drobo FS has a cool uh, integration with Oxygen, which is a cloud storage system. But the problem with that is uh, you got to shell out for the Drobo. So if you're looking to do this on the cheap, ain't going to happen. Um, you know, my my advice would be to use the, uh, you know, one of these enclosures, the iOmega or the Lissy, and then use Dropbox uh, for your cloud storage, depending on how much you need. And, you know, uh, you can, you can always buy more from Dropbox, but, uh, but you get two, what you get two and a quarter gigs free. Plus you can get an additional quarter gig. If you use our, uh, our special magic link, I think I've got a couple, uh, we're, we're going to link to yours, Dave, because I, actually I was yep. surprised they recently upped their free space to 10 yeah. gigs. Yeah. And I had a whole bunch because you were kind enough to, to let me and Pete, I think, That's right. <laughs> send out our affiliate links. And all of a sudden, my Dropbox went from 5 to 10 gigs. I just what? got a growl uh, notification, and they're like, hey, guess what? You got 10 gigs. I'm like, oh, cool. thank you. Yeah, what, what John's <laughs> referring to is Dropbox has this it, – it's a pretty cool promotion. If, you, if I refer you to Dropbox, you get an additional 250 megs for free with your new Dropbox account. And I get an additional 250 megs for free with my existing account up to a limit. The limit used to be five. Uh, now it's 10. And, and I tweeted something just the other day and I'm close. I'm, I'm at like, you know, I've, I've maybe got four slots left. So uh, once we once we hit mine, we'll we'll start rolling over to Pete. And, and then, you know, I've got my brother and everybody. We can, you know, start sending them around. So if we need more, we'll, we'll get links from you guys and, and we'll do it. But we'll link to it in the we'll link to mine, I guess, this time in the uh in the we'll, show notes, we'll but, share the love. Yeah, but the the Dropbox is 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 a great option. Even even with just the two and a half gigs that you get out of the gate, uh, you know that that's that's a lot of storage, and you can upgrade, and it's really not that expensive. But but the free storage, uh, I've been using it for years. I store my documents folder out there. Um, it syncs with all my Macs. It's smart enough now to sync on the LAN, so it'll up to upload once to to the server. But then all my other Macs that are on my local network here get the data from each other as opposed to, you know, uploading and downloading back and forth to the uh, yep. to the to the thing. So it's good. I, I You know, I think I, certainly on the cheap, it ain't going to get any better than than that, Andy. Uh, yep. Yeah. So a couple of points. Yeah. To close out here. And I think we may be off after this. Number one. We were going to mention this uh, in a future show. I'm, I'm going to mention this now because we're talking about Dropbox. Yeah. I ran into a little problem. And I just want to warn people about this. So I, I took the advice of many people. So one, I will say you should have Andy or anybody a, a multi, uh, I don't know, multi-tiered or whatever, but uh, uh, do not have a single point of failure. Right. So as you were saying, Dave, and uh, 
don't have your backups all in one place. Do not isolate your backups to just a USB drive or a Drobo or a cloud service. Spread them out. Because, you know, the thing is, if any one of them gets nuked or destroyed or crashes or whatever, you're, you're in deep trouble and that you lost everything. So have one, two, three. I mean, I use uh, personally, Dave, I use, uh, you know, dot Mac. I use Dropbox. I use Time Machine. And actually, I use this new thing. So this is one, uh, another tangent off a tangent. But uh, Opt Online, who is my local uh, provider, they offered all of a sudden I got an email saying, hey, we're offering you two gigs of free storage using Carbonite. I'm like, cool. And cool. I signed up, and, and it looks pretty nice. It, it looks like a – so check them out. I think it's Carbonite.com. They, they look like a viable you know, cloud-based uh, backup service. But here's, what, here's the thing that I ran to in Dropbox. So I was taking advice of multiple people, Gruber and others. And so I decided to copy my documents folder to Dropbox. So, you know, initiated. You, you, you the, can't you don't want to mention that that advice also came from, you know, somebody maybe a little closer to our circle here. Right. Like you. Yeah, it could be. Could possibly be. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, no, I'm saying I, he, he did a. Yeah, I mean, he did a nice article that basically it described exactly what I've told you for years. That basically that I'm doing. said you were right, Dave. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Here's the problem I ran into in Dropbox. So I basically took my documents folder minus a couple of things. But and for the most part, you know, if you're disciplined, any important data should probably be at least for, well, for certain purposes. I mean, certainly your music and your movies and your pictures are important. But but for me, the, the only thing that I really bother backing up is, is at least to the cloud and stuff is documents. Sure. So I took my Mac documents folder. I excluded a couple of things that were really huge. Like I think, you know, some virtual drives were in there and all that, you know, for, for uh, uh, you know, virtual machines. Yep. And I dragged it over. All of a sudden, my MacBook Pro started going crazy. It was maxing out my processor. And then I looked at Dropbox and it's like, yep, I'm copying 800,000 files over. I'm like, you know, that doesn't really sound quite right. Here was the problem. Buried in my documents folder, I think from a prior browser or something, was an alias to my applications folder. Now, I'm not going to say what they did is wrong. Actually, I think they, uh, Dropbox is honoring what you should do is that you know, the point of an alias is it points to something else, right? Oh, that's good to know. So if you want to have Dropbox back up things on multiple drives, you point aliases to them. Uh, actually, probably not multiple drives, but multiple spots on one drive. You can point aliases in and have them get backed right. up. Okay. The problem here is this was certainly not my intent to back up my entire applications folder. Now, the, right. the problem right. was, is this was a leftover from an installer. I think it was Wireshark. And, and you've seen this, Dave. A lot of installers will have a alias to your applications folder. The reason being is that you drag the app to the alias for your applications folder and it copies it to your applications folder and sure. you're cool. Sure. The problem is here, this was an unintended consequence of that thing. And the thing is, once I got online and went through the web interface, because the problem is the, 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 you know, the, the, the Mac interface became almost totally unresponsive because it was doing its best to copy over these 800,000 files because it was trying to cap, copy over every one of my applications and all the folders under, underneath that. It was, it was terrible. So if you're going to use Dropbox, make sure, unless you want to, don't copy over aliases. Right. That is yeah. my advice. No, that's good. All right. Uh, so um, I have a, I have another hint to uh, to throw out there. We're going to be we're going to be off next week. I am in 
Washington, D.C. with the family, actually. And uh, so we're, we're heading down to have some fun. But uh, and we couldn't get a, a White House tour because I guess you know, I was going to ask, are you going to are you going to see, uh, you know, Obama, uh, you, you know, hang out with him or we no? uh, apparently with White House tours um, and we did this, you have to register more than a month in advance through your really? you, through your Congress person. Uh, That's what I thought. Yeah. You, yep. They have to kind of be the first gate to, to and, get you in the door. Yep. Right? And you give them your Social Security numbers of everybody in the date range that you're going to be there. And then they <laughs> they do this. And so we did that reluctantly. I, I don't like giving my social security number out, but you know how it is. Anyway, uh, we did that. And and then, but regardless of how far in advance you uh, send in your request, you don't find out until three weeks out. Uh, so three weeks out, we found out, no, look, it's April. There's two, you know, jillion people that come to Washington because it's school vacation and cherry season and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, no, you, you know, you didn't get it. So we tried calling our other Congress people and we didn't realize that we should have been working multiple angles at once on this. But, uh, so if anybody's got an angle, I, I can't imagine at this point that there's a whole lot anyone can do, but if you got an angle anyway, uh, but one last little tip and, and it taught it, sort of your discussion of aliases. Reminded me on Twitter last night, I ranted that it's ridiculous on my iPad. I can stream movies from Netflix, but I can't stream uh, movies from, say, my Drobo that sits on my local network because mm-hmm. the iPad has no way of doing that. Right. The iPhone doesn't. The iPod touch doesn't. There's no way mm-hmm. to stream content that you have locally to your, well, your device. You've got to well, sync it a, to it. Well, you need a streaming server of sorts. Yes. Yeah, iTunes works pretty well as a streaming server in case you're not aware, right? It does it with the Apple TV. It does it with other uh, iTunes, right? I mean, it should be able to do this and it can do this. There's just no client uh, on the iPad to do it. And so I ranted and there are a couple of apps uh, out there. I think Air, no, it's not Air Radar. Uh, It doesn't matter because Jeff Lynch had an excellent suggestion for a free way of doing this. And what you do is you set up web sharing, on your Mac, meaning you go into set, you know, system preferences, sharing, click the web sharing thing, and then into your sites folder on your Mac, you drag aliases to your music folder and your movies folder. Now you navigate with Safari on the iPad or your iPhone. You navigate to that folder. You pick the movie or the uh, audio file you want to play. And as long as it's in a format that's playable, of course, by the iPad, it mm. works great. A couple of cool things. If you're playing a movie, you can go totally full screen. You don't see the bar. It, it like becomes the movie player. You have no, uh, there's no indication that you're inside Safari. You can stretch and, you know, do all this great stuff. If you're playing music, you can put it in the background because Safari, of course, continues to run in the background on your iPhone, your iPod or your iPad. So uh, you kind of get the best of both worlds and, you know, it's free. So, uh, so there's my, there's my little tip of the day. No, is that, is that technically streaming? Because yeah. I me mean, streaming implies RTSP and the certain protocol, or are you just loading a movie quicker than, I mean, I mean can you jump to any point in the movie? Yeah. Oh, I was able to nice. jump to any point. Yeah. Yeah. Now it may have, you know, downloaded enough of it, but I, I know cause it shows you and it is downloading mm-hmm. it. But if I choose to jump to a point in the movie, that's, 
that hasn't been downloaded, it jumps to that point and downloads from there. The web server on the, on the Mac supports that. So it's, yeah, it's kind of sort of streaming, but it gets me what I want. It yeah, gets yeah. me, you know, you know what I'm saying. Nice. Nice. Dave, yeah. I hear the band. I'm surprised that the band is here. I mean, if I was the band, I I wouldn't stick around, man. I'd be <laughs> long on, you know, jamming in a park or something. But anyways, Dave, we didn't talk about con- how to contact us. And, no. you know, I'm going to talk about it right now because... One of the first things I do is if you want to contact us, Dave, you pick up the phone and you dial 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. You can also email us to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Now, Dave, uh, I think you said feedback at macgeekgab.com. And I I, got to say, as of late, I've just noticed. So please... Please, beloved listeners, I've, I've actually seen some people find some kind of bizarre email addresses that <laughs> do eventually get to us. But please, please use feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That, that, that way it gets to both me and Dave, and we can both percolate over it and look at it and collaborate and, and do the best job of answering your questions. Yeah. So. And, and if you are a premium subscriber, uh, you can feel free to email us at premium at MacGeekGab.com as well. Either way you can email us text of course uh pictures if screenshots help we've had some of you email us little screencasts of the problem and of course you can also email us audio files be it from your iphone uh your ipod touch or even your ipad i think yeah i think it's it definitely has a microphone on it yeah i've used skype on it so uh so you can email us your audio files that way uh you can call them in as uh, as john said and you can skype them to us at mac geek gab uh and that's that. The This Week in iPhone podcast is made by Michael Johnston, and he's the one that will convert this to AAC. He missed last week, but uh, but he'll be back here. Uh, cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth to get the podcast from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, the Ojimbo from Barebone Software, text expander from smile on my mac notebook from circus ponies and go to assist.com slash gab for go to assist express from citrix that does it we're out of here and you know dave you know in this weather you know i'm almost thinking back to the 60s where you know free love and all that stuff here and you know i almost feel like well no I shouldn't do this, but it almost makes one want to, you know, shed their clothing and run through the park naked. But you you know what's going to happen if you do that. Yeah, well, if you're going to do it, make sure you have fun and don't get caught. Made up. (laughs) Through the park naked?